All right, good afternoon to everybody out there. I'm Tom, W5KUB, and this show is about ham radio. It's called Amateur Radio Roundtable. And I think we got some great things lined up for you tonight. We welcome you, especially if you're out there listening on International Shortwave on WBCQ on 7490 kilohertz. We would like to ask you to send us an email, if you will. Send an email to tom at w5kub.com. Tom at w5kub.com. Let us know where you are in the world and uh, how you're hearing the station tonight. And uh, just wanted to remind you that you can always join the show every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. No, it's 9 p.m. Eastern Time. If you just go to w5kub.com, you can join the video show and join the chat room. Want to uh, ask a big favor of everybody out there again. I need you, if you will, hit that subscribe button. Uh, I'll put the little flashing thing up there. There we go. We really need you to hit the subscribe button, if you will. It really helps us to uh, promote our channel and bringing new, bring in new people to our show there. Uh, also, uh, a Facebook. We've got a great Facebook group. You know, for for our uh, our group here, it's all about ham radio. We have uh, about twelve thousand, a little over twelve thousand people in it, and we'd love to have you join it. The simplest way to join it is just go to W5KUB, and you'll find it. Or you can type in Amateur Radio Roundtable, and you'll find it. But W5KUB will also get you there, and we'll approve you and get you right in. So, uh, if you're a shortwave listener out there, we'd love to have you too. Many of us got our start many, many years ago in shortwave listening. I still remember it today. That was uh, some fun times uh, that we had. Uh, let's see. What else is going on here? Uh, hey, we're going to have a big balloon launch tomorrow. We're going to do dual balloons tomorrow. Uh, I, I'll tell you more about that a little later. Uh, also, I've got a segment tonight that gets into more detail on the uh, remote base that I've been talking a little about, and uh, I'll uh, I'll show that to you tonight. I think Glenn's going to talk a, a few minutes on the Jackson, uh, Mississippi Ham Fest. We got Alan in here with tech tips. Alan's going to talk about transmission line links. I think that's the subject tonight. So we got a lot of things going. Man, a lot's going here. So. Let me jump uh, around the room here real quick, and uh, hey, Glenn, come on in here. Uh, thanks for being with us. I know you. I know you're uh, making a special trip tomorrow morning. Tell us about it. Oh yeah, I am headed down to Orlando. Gonna do the hamcation. Uh, going actually down a day early, so I'm gonna hook up with some old friends since I grew up down in that area. And uh, from what I hear, we're gonna go spend. Um, Wednesday, uh, Thursday on the beach, oh. and then the ham. You know, everybody else is going to do the AWRL sessions and stuff, and I'm going to have my sand on my feet in the beach sand. And uh, then Friday and Saturday, of course, is the ham fest, and I'm doing a forum on Saturday morning, or yeah, sometime Saturday, and uh, going to be hanging out at the AWRL booth, uh, signing my books and showing off calendars and whatnot. All right. Well, hey, man, I wish we were going. We've just decided not to go. It is just so far to go down there, and we've got so many things going. And uh, maybe next year we'll get there. 
But, oh yeah. Uh, well, see, I'm I'm flying. You know, yeah. There's no way I could drive, and you know, I just need the break, man. It is. Yeah. I feel like I've just been running on a hamster wheel since Christmas, and uh, I I'm just like right now. I'm in the last minute of packing, and you know how hectic that can get. Yeah. And I'm like, the minute I put my butt in that plane seat, I'm done. Well, let me tell you, let me tell you, you got to get ready to fight. And because I think, I remember the last time you and I went down here on the airplane, they had a cheerleading contest, a national, <laughs> a national cheerleading contest. And the plane yep. was full of cheerleaders and the airport was full of cheerleaders. And they took our baggage, mine and your baggage. They took yeah. it with all the they, girls, with all the cheerleaders, took our baggage to their hotels. Yeah, and, they uh, took all of the plane's luggage threw it on the bus and it yeah. went to their hotel and the airline had to get that all back and that was not a short wait either you know yeah. uh, sorting through that and finding somebody that would uh, get that luggage back for us so wow yeah. that was uh that was something okay who's yeah, gonna I mean, take we didn't care get to the who's room take... until you know dark 30 yeah. have you got some some uh, friends gonna come over and take care of the kitty cats while you're gone yeah as a matter of fact they just called on the phone so i'm gonna have to go jump off and go talk to them a minute i'll be back okay well very good there well let's jump over to uh alan alan how you doing tonight oh hanging in there i was just going to tell uh glenn that uh brett in the chat said it's dangerous to be a hamster with all those big cats around so <laughs> but uh he just left the room but uh, yeah hey, we're doing okay uh work's been a little busy so i, I missed last week but uh interesting segment tonight uh, i got a lot of people that ask you know What's the right length of coax or, or transmission line I should have between the radio and the antenna? And I, my usual answer is the one that's long enough to reach. Yeah, that's usually what I do. I just whatever it takes, man. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Uh, there's no magical lengths. There are some magical things that happen at certain lengths, but it really has no impact on things like SWR. So we'll talk about that and demonstrate that. I've got a short little uh, eight-minute video that we'll uh, we'll play uh, and then. Uh, and then we could chat about it afterwards. But uh, otherwise, doing okay. Uh, coming out of the deep freeze here in New Jersey, it was actually up in the 40s today, and we're supposed to get up in the upper 40s tomorrow. Uh, I'll certainly take that in the, uh, the middle of February, that's for sure. Yeah, well, you know, uh, we had that ice storm uh, hit here uh, last week, and usually when we have ice storms, we definitely lose power. And uh, I think there was... There's still people in Memphis that don't have power. I think 10% of the Memphis population still doesn't have power yet, but um, they were down several hundred hundred thousand people for days. And, uh, you know, I put that new generator in, got it all hooked to the natural gas and ready to go, and, man, I'm, tree limbs are falling out there and everything. But we never had to go on backup power, and I knew that was going to happen. Once I put that generator in, we will never have an outage again. Yeah, well, that's why even when we had the snow coming up here, you know, I made sure to get the uh, the snowblower already uh, in the garage ready to go, to, and that helped to keep it from being yeah. a big snow. Oh, <laughs> so. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Oh, man. All right. Well, let's see. Uh, I, hey, I see a lot of our regulars in the uh, chat room tonight. Man, we appreciate uh, everybody being with us tonight, and, and uh, we're going to invite everybody into Zoom tonight. And uh, let you just join us in the show tonight with Zoom. There's Bill joining us right now. Let's uh, let's get Bill in here, and uh, uh, we'll uh, we'll probably open it up uh, maybe within the hour. 
I think we'll be able to uh, meet that time frame. So, you know, uh, roundtable, empty radio roundtable, it's going to last about an hour. That way you don't get too bored if it's too long. And then we will have, after that, we go into a new show. It's called the, the After the Show Show. After the Show Show? Do we need a better name for that? Or would it, would it sound better if we have show after the show or after the show show? What do, you, what do y'all think? It'll come up not. with something after the show show. After the show show. So anyway, anyway, we'll do that. Uh, we'll do that starting about nine o'clock Central Time, and we'll have fun and uh, let all the regulars and, and new people join us. Please, uh, please, please connect in, even if you don't want to talk. Just connect in with us, and uh, you are still uh, being webcast uh, on our YouTube channel when when we're on the show after after the show show. The late 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 show. Yeah, the late late. It is the late late for for. Uh, for Alan, for sure. The after the QSO party. Yeah. Well, hey, Bill just joined us there, Bill. Uh, uh, somebody asked about the Zoom link. I will uh, put the Zoom link in the chat room in about an hour, probably around 9 o'clock. Bill, come on in here and tell us, uh, hey, did you get any ice down here this past week when we got we got ice here? No, it uh, was about 50 miles north of us. We just got yep. piles of rain. And uh, but no snow, no ice. Although it was kind of a freezing mist for a while. My uh, place I was staying up in Ohio in Findlay, they had like a foot of snow during that storm. Yeah. Probably with the law ice thrown in. So uh, um, one of my friends in the chat room from Findlay, he might tell us just how much snow we got. He got up there. That's John W H J E S. So uh, it's a uh, I'm glad I escaped uh, Ohio before that hit. Yeah, let's see. Somebody saw. Oh, I got an I got an arrow on your head. I got to move that. There we go. So, um, you know, we're right on the very edge of western Tennessee, right at the Mississippi River. I don't know how to drew this. And uh, this uh, ice storm, it, it just kind of came northeast, and it kind of went in a northeast direction. And uh, here at my house, uh, we were right on the edge of it. Now, Memphis got whacked pretty hard. I'm a little bit east of Memphis. But across the river, Arkansas, they declared that state an emergency, uh, a state of emergency for all of Arkansas. I mean, it was really tough up through there, and I went into the northeast there. So I guess we lucked out and didn't didn't have to uh, run our generator. So that's good. I hear the uh, I hear the building or the electrical inspectors coming by tomorrow to do a final inspection. So we'll see how that goes. Hopefully, you won't tell me to turn it off. All right. Well, let's see. Let's do this. Uh, uh, Glenn, uh, so you're going out of town, Glenn, and uh, you're going to be our reporter down in uh, down in uh, Orlando and get pictures and video and talk to people for us. And uh, also, I think tonight you want to show us uh, a little film clip and talk a little about uh, you were at the Jackson, Mississippi Ham Fest uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, you want to you want to talk about that? I think uh, I think Glenn is still on the phone. Oh, Glenn's on the phone. Okay, okay. Yeah, I see I all see right. his lips moving. Okay, I messed it up. Hey, let me. I want to make one announcement. I'm not going to go much into this announcement. I you know I I really. Don't want to say much about it, but I, I think people should know if you don't know. Uh, our friend, uh, uh, 
Our friend down in Orlando, WX4TV, you, you guys probably know him, and um, he went in uh, He went in for a mitral valve in his heart uh, surgery about a month ago, and uh, something went wrong during surgery or something happened. And uh, he was on life support for a month. He's been in a coma for a month, and uh, he has uh, he's come out of the coma. Uh, his lungs are messed up. His kidneys have basically stopped working, so they've got him on a dialysis. I think he's had a couple strokes. Uh, during this time, while they were trying to keep him alive on life support, uh, both feet... Uh, I don't. I, I'll just use the word. Both feet went bad. I guess it's like, you know, if your feet freeze or something. Anyway, today, uh, today he had both feet amputated today, and um, his hands were also black, like his feet. But I don't know that they're going to do anything to his hands. But the guy's in really, really uh, tough shape there. So, um, you know, you guys. You guys, just just wanted you to know about that. That's James Lee down in uh, Orlando, and uh, you know, you, you he they do the Shack in the Box. You probably have seen him at Hamfest, the Shack in the Box, and uh, James uh, uh, has been on here with his uh, with his kids before uh, a number of times, and uh, it's a great family. the The entire family was homeschooled. Uh, all three of the kids basically they graduated college by the age of sixteen and seventeen. They were taking college classes and high school at the same time, and they were homeschooled, and uh, they actually had their college degree at 16 years old. So uh, it, it just, it's a great family. Uh, they're going through a really big tragedy right now. So didn't want to say a whole lot about it, but I, I, I wanted people to know what's going on down here. Um, you know. Anyway, let's go back to uh, let's go back to Glenn there, Glenn. You want to talk about uh, Jackson, Mississippi? I think he's still on the phone. Is he still on the phone? Okay, okay. I'm looking over there across on the monitor, and I see him sitting there. But, okay, I'll tell you what we'll do. Why don't we just jump into your uh, segment? Sure. And we'll talk. He's got to give me permission to share. I will do that. Yeah, I'll do that. um, Yeah, I figured what we'd talk about. Uh, is the effect of adding or removing transmission line length, whether it's ladder line length or coax, um, what effect it does have and what effect it doesn't have. Uh, maybe just dispel some, uh, you know, some myths and that type of a thing. Um, I do have a little video. Um, you know, one of the things that I mentioned uh, was that as you, you know, add or subtract transmission line length, it doesn't change the SWR. And the, the caveat to that is if you... Um, if you're if the antenna you're using doesn't use the coax as part of its antenna system as the counterpoise or as a radiating portion of the antenna then changing the transmission line length doesn't matter obviously if the coax is a part of the antenna system in terms of you know the radiating radiating and input impedance you know basically being a counterpoise and things like that then it certainly will but um anyway we can we can certainly chat about that um 
Well, I just want to let you know, it looks like Glenn is back on. If well, you, you want go to, well, uh, kind you, of go, go to that first, then we no, can let's, 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 we can yeah, do I'm yours. We, Whichever we, you want to do. We can do yours first. You're on Eastern <laughs> time. You're on Eastern time, and, uh, you know, it gets late here for you early. All right. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to share a video here to start with. Um, I want to do a quick little test because what I want to do is mute my microphone and share the video's audio. And I want to, I'll stop it and uh, then ask if, um, if you okay. can actually hear it. Uh, so I just want to make sure that if I mute my microphone, that it doesn't uh, it doesn't mute the uh, the sound from the yeah. video as well. So let me uh, let me bring this up here, and share. And uh, what I'll do is I'm going to mute myself now and start playing, and I'll play it for a second or two, and then stop and ask. Here we go. In this video, we're going to take a look at what happens when we add transmission line between a transmitter and an antenna. So we're able to hear the the sound from the video. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let me mute myself again so you don't get an echo. And here we go. I'll give you the answer very quickly, and then we'll actually go look at why, and actually go make some measurements and show it. But the quick three-part answer is that the SWR does not change as you add or subtract transmission line length between your transmitter and the antenna. And of course, this is assuming that the line is not part of the antenna. And many times that's not the case. Uh, oftentimes the shield of the coax becomes part of the counterpoise system for the antenna. So changing the line length may have some effect on SWR. But uh, if the line is com completely not part of the antenna, the SWR will not change. We'll show you why in a moment. However, the impedance looking into the line does change as you change the line length. So you could say, how does the impedance change without the SWR change? Well, we'll take a look at this on the Smith chart, the perfect tool to look at this, and we'll show you why. Now, the other thing that uh, people get surprised at is that the apparent resonant frequencies of the antenna can move around as you add or subtract line length. And, of course, that's assuming that the resonant point is not at the perfect uh, center of the Smith chart right at 50 ohms. Now, remember that resonance is only defined as when the impedance is purely resistive. There's no reactive component. So that could appear, you know, it could be 40 ohm resistive, 55 ohm resistive, 100 ohm resistive, etc. All those are resonant points. But also it's important to remember that the resonant point is not always where you have the lowest SWR. So don't confuse the lowest SWR or the minimum in the SWR as being the resonant point of the antenna because that's not always the case. Now here's a, a simple plot of, say, a fictitious antenna with uh, some uh, starting line length and plotting the impedance on a Smith chart from low frequency to high frequency. And I've just highlighted three points on that chart. So let's take a look at the impedance looking into the end of a line after we add about a tenth of a wavelength of transmission line. Now our assumptions here that we're dealing with lossless line and that the line is not a significant part of the antenna. When we add or subtract transmission line, we're effectively rotating uh, impedance around the center of the Smith chart, assuming that the center of the Smith chart is equal to Z0 or the characteristic impedance of the line. So if we take our original three points and this curve of our original uh, sweep of the antenna, uh, we essentially can draw these imaginary circles uh, centered at the Z0 point for each of those points. These circles are known as constant SWR circles. As we add or subtract line length, the impedance represented by any point on the curve rotates around its own constant SWR circle. When we add line length, we rotate clockwise. We subtract line length, we rotate counterclockwise. 
the outer axes of the Smith chart are actually calibrated in uh, length of line in wavelengths. You can see there they both show 0.25 over here. This one here is decreasing. This one here is increasing. At this end of the uh, chart, we see they're both at zero. What this indicates is one complete trip around the Smith chart is equal to a half a wavelength in line. So what that means is that if you use a transmission line that's exactly a half wavelength long at your operating frequency, the impedance looking into the line is exactly the same as the impedance looking into the antenna directly. At any other line length that is not an even half wavelength multiple, you're going to have an impedance that is not the same as the impedance looking into the line. But, as we mentioned, the SWR does not change because we're simply rotating around these constant SWR circles. So let's take our example of adding a tenth of a wavelength to the line length. So we start with point A, we can bring that out to the outer axis, add a tenth of a wavelength to, we see we're a little bit past 0.22, we'll rotate down to a little bit past 0.32, and that's our new point for the impedance at that frequency looking into the transmission line. We do the same thing for point B, we rotate about a tenth of a wavelength out this way, and that's our new point for B, and do the same thing for point C, and pick our new point for C. Now you noticed each time I said we're rotating about a tenth of a wavelength. And the reason for that is that that transmission line is only going to be a tenth of a wavelength at one frequency. Let's say it was at frequency for A. When we go up to frequency B, the higher frequency means a shorter wavelength. So that fixed line length is going to be electrically a little bit longer than a tenth. We go up again to a higher frequency C, that line length is going to be a little bit longer again than a tenth. So the effect is the curve rotates around and stretches slightly because we're going to be the higher frequencies are going to rotate further around the chart. So you do get a slight change in the shape of the curve uh, just because the line length in terms of the number of wavelengths changes with frequency as well. And again this is assuming a lossless transmission line. If there were losses these circles actually start to spiral inwards and also assumes that again that the line is not a significant part of the antenna. So let's go take a look at this with the VNA and see what we're talking about. So here's our starting point. I've got a 20 meter vertical antenna uh, hooked up through a piece of coax uh, to the VNA. Uh, we can see the SWR plot here. Minimum SWR at about 14.245 megahertz. And then this is our curve of the complex impedance of that antenna, sweeping from 13.7 to 14.7 megahertz. Now in my case here, the coax shield is a small portion of the counterpoise for the antenna. So you may notice a small shift in the lowest SWR point as we start adding coax length. Now I've added about 36 inches or just under one meter of RG8X coax, which at 14.2 megahertz represents about 0.056 wavelengths of line length. So you notice that our whole curve has rotated slightly clockwise around the center of the Smith chart. You'll also notice that we actually cross the center axis of the Smith chart twice. There are actually two resonant points. And again, resonance doesn't mean minimum SWR. Resonance just means that we have no reactance. I've just added a second 36 inch or about one meter long length of line. And we can see we've rotated that curve a little bit further. And again, our SWR curve has not changed. Now this is after adding another 36 inch length of coax and we rotated our curve a little bit further. Again you'll notice there's a slight change in the shape 
of this curve because the line length in terms of number of wavelengths is a little different uh, for these each of the frequencies along this curve. But you also notice again that the SWR plot really has not changed. So let's play each of those four scenarios out in unison. I'll just merge from one to the other and you can visualize how this curve is rotating around. This was our starting point. This is after adding one section of 36 inch line or about one meter of line length. This is with an additional six feet or just under two meters of additional coax. Now this is after adding another 36 inch length I hope this video has taught you a little bit about what happens when you add or subtract line length between a transmitter and an antenna. Now, of course, if the antenna is perfectly matched to the transmission line, meaning its impedance equals the transmission line impedance, then the line length doesn't matter a bit. But if the antenna is not a perfect 50 ohms, it's somewhere else in complex impedance, the impedance looking into that line will change with line length, but the SWR will not, provided that the line itself is not part of the antenna system. So again, I hope you learned something. If you liked the video, uh, give me a thumbs up. All right. All right. Well, I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, it was a fun experiment to run to kind of prove uh, how all that works. And um, like I said, the the key is is that you know if the coax length is not a part of the antenna, that doesn't really affect SWR. But what's interesting is people will say, well. My like my auto tuner has trouble, you know, tuning an antenna. But if I add three feet of coax, then it tunes it fine. And it's not. And the reason for that is that it's not changing the SWR that the tuner is seeing, uh, but it is changing the complex impedance that the tuner is seeing. And the tuner might have an easier job tuning out a certain amount of inductive or capacitive reactance but have a harder time with other values of, of inductive reactants. You know, may have a good time tuning one spot on that circle, a constant SWR circle, but have a difficult time with the other. So what you're doing is rotating the impedance around that constant SWR circle and into a spot that might be more favorable for the components that are in that tuner. So um, that's kind of why that happens too. So anyway, I just thought it was, it was an interesting experiment and uh, you know, hopefully uh, some people got some something out of it. So. Well, someday I'm going to have to try lengthening or shortening my coax. Okay. Because I know in my case, I've got yeah. I've got a ladder line fed, untuned dipole. I've got a 130-foot yeah. dipole that snakes around all on the property. Not resonant anywhere. I mean, not doesn't have a low SWR anywhere except oddly on 17 meters. It, it's about uh, 1.6 to 1 or 1.5 to 1. But everywhere else, it's, it's quite high. And um, there are a couple of bands where... Um, if I, I've got a little like two or three foot section of ladder line that I insert in line and it makes my auto tuner work better on that frequency and I pull it out for other frequencies, uh, just again, for the same reason, it's, it's rotating the, the impedance around to another point that is more favorable for the, the design of my tuner. So. Well, all right. Well, thank you so much for that. And uh, let's... Um... Let's see if there's any questions in the chat room there. Anybody anybody have any questions about Alan's uh, segment there? And I still got to learn how to use that V&A, man. You're so good with that V&A there. Yeah, I don't see any questions on there, so either okay. everybody got it or... Yeah, here's one. All right. Yeah, uh, so, you are... Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Glenn. Well, if you've got it, go ahead. Yeah, it just says... 
So the question for those that are in the chat, uh, if you're adding links to the coax, do the connectors make a change as well? Well, it's a good question. And for, for HF operating, which is what I do, the effect of connectors um, is pretty minimal. Um, in, in my case, it's ladder line, so it's just little banana jacks. Uh, in the case of coax, if you've got decent quality connectors on your coax, you're going to get more of not not, not going to get so much of an impedance bump as you are maybe just a little bit of loss, but it's pretty negligible at uh, HF frequencies, so uh, it really doesn't matter that much. Um, so Charlie is mentioning uh, a discussion with about Collins uh, amplifiers and coax between the rig and the amplifier. Not sure how that plays into this discussion. Uh, that's well, that's really. Yeah, well, that shortens that the, that you know, the, the length. impedance of the amplifier yeah. is is matched, then the, yeah. the length shouldn't matter. So, okay. But then again, if you're, if you're if, depending on what you're feeding that thirty the thirty L one with, so you're feeding it from a thirty S one. I'm assuming a thirty S one is a a hybrid rig or maybe an all tube rig, and you're probably going to adjust the the output tank circuit on that anyway. So that makes it a little bit less important for the input impedance of a 30L1 to be matched to 50 ohms. So in that case, I could see how the length of coax between the transmitter and the and the uh, the amplifier would cause you to have to retune um, the the output tank circuit on the uh, or the Pi network on the on the transmitter. But uh, I don't know enough about the the the, the 30L1 to say that's what's going on for sure. Well, man, that that brings me back. Thirty L one amplifier. I thought the thirty S one was what. There's two amplifiers. The thirty, I think the thir, is the thirty L one the smaller Collins amp. And I oh, thought, I, the, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess from the way that Charlie phrased that question, yeah. I was assuming that the thirty S one was a transmitter. But it, it seems like it might be in his statement here. Uh, I was just trying to think. What's the other Collins amp? I want the big one that sits on the floor. You know, it's the. I, th I thought that was a thirty L one. I may be wrong. But uh, good question, Charlie. Uh, hope. Uh, yeah, I see. I see. Mike has yeah. also got. Mike Fikes has got a question. Is there anything at all special about resonance, or is it simply resistive and just another impedance with no real consequence? Well, it is resistive. Um, the generally, if you're looking at tuned networks and things like that, um, it's probably easier to do an impedance match to a resistive impedance as opposed to something that's reactive. Um, but uh, there isn't a huge consequence with having something reactive if you're going to put some kind of an impedance matching network there anyway. Um, but uh, it really is just a matter of, you know, if you've got a, an impedance that is purely, uh, you know, is, is largely reactive, then, you know, in effect, there's really no power. It will be less power dissipation, real power dissipation there. But at the end of the day, what you're doing is trying to deliver power to that complex load. So, you're essentially adjusting what's called a complex conjugate so that uh, you're reflecting energy back at essentially the opposite phase angle. So you try to deliver as much of that uh, that energy as possible to the load. All right. Charlie uh, Charlie uh, gave us the info. The 30S1 is the big amplifier. He said that's the ah. <laughs> father of all amps. That's the one I want. I, that thing's got a tube in there. That thing's got a ceramic tube in there about this big around, man. Oh, man. That's a nice and while you were talking about um, the connectors affecting the length of coax, um, this is a, a myth that's been 
propagated forever, and we figured we might as well go ahead and dispel this as part of this whole discussion. You do not lose 3 dB when you go through a connector. And if you think about that, if you're running full 1,500 watts legal limit and you lose 3 dB, half your power, that little coupler is dumping 750 watts. I don't think so. (laughs) I don't think so. No, they've actually done tests and the loss between connectors, and we're talking they've strung 20 and 30 couplers together and the loss is negligible until you get up into the microwave frequencies. Glenn, if it if it's if it's uh, glowing cherry red, then then maybe you've got a problem. Well, what no? Because you remember the tubes always worked best when they were glowing blue on the plate. You knew well, you mean, were getting the out then. I oh mean, yeah, the connector is glowing red. <laughs> yeah. But no, that, 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 that is a myth, and it's been propagated forever that every time you use a coupler, you lose 3 dB, and that's just not true. All right. Hey, thanks, uh, Alan. Sure. For hopefully, we was... dispelled a couple of myths with uh, hey, Alan, you, uh, you got... and antennas and, and connectors. I think we're going to have Hambot here with us next week. You've got some books or something to give away, don't you? Yeah, I've got a couple of things that I will, maybe we'll try to, uh, to give away next week. Um, I've got a couple of uh, AWRL books here. I've got a handbook. I might have got an antenna book and a couple of others here. Yeah. Hey, so the handbook we'll, 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 and, the, and the antenna book are both nice books to have. Oh, yeah. So Very we'll, cool. We'll be giving those away on the show here uh, soon. Maybe we'll so. even throw, it, throw in a, a Yesu hat with it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You know... Uh, I usually collected these ham feathers. I collect so many hats. Uh, Kathy uh, usually about every couple of years uh, cleans the closets out and gives away all my not nearly all my hats. I'll keep eight or ten, but she'll give away maybe forty or fifty hats. You know, and, and I'm uh, the other way around, man. I'll get yeah. one hat and I'll wear that thing until it literally falls yeah. off my head. Yeah. Well, I could have a, an Icon baseball team and a Yezu baseball team and you know Gigaparts baseball team, but. <laughs> Oh man, and uh, I usually well, you know, give, I usually give them to people. You know, uh, a lot of people really enjoy getting them. You know, well, you know, every year Yesu comes out with a new hat to you know give out. I always get mine at Dayton and or Huntsville. Yeah. yeah. Well, half the time I'm you know, too busy to well, go get a hat. Yeah. See, the one I got here is from uh, a radio conference from 2018, and oh, brand yeah. new, never been worn. Yeah, <laughs> I've got a few like that. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. All right, I tell you what, let's uh, let's take just a quick, short, one-minute break or so, and we'll be right back. And, Glenn, we're going to talk uh, next about uh, Jackson, Mississippi Ham Fest, I think. Yeah. All right, we'll be back in a minute, guys. Didn't get everything on your holiday list? Now is the time to spice up your ham shack with ICOM's new ID52A handheld. This radio is perfect for staying in or venturing out. The ID52A is now shipping. ICOM's newest handheld amateur radio is a VHF-UHF dual-bander with D-Star and FM dual-mode functions. This radio supports conventional FM communications and D-Star simplex and worldwide calls over the D-Star internet gateway. The ID52A is the first handheld amateur radio with a full-color 2.3-inch waterfall display and the ability to send photos over D-Star with a connected Android phone. Features include a wideband receiver with guaranteed range of 144 through 148 and 440 through 450 megahertz. 
It has an integrated GPS receiver, including grid square location. It also has a micro USB for data transfer, programming, and charging. And it's IPX7 waterproof. Visit www.icomamerica.com slash amateur for more information on ICOM radios. LDG Electronics provides state-of-the-art antenna tuners for every amateur need. From QRP to QRO, fixed stations, portable and remote, an LDG tuner will match your radio to your antenna using our lightning-fast, proprietary tuning algorithms. LDG is a family-owned and operated company dedicated to bringing innovative, quality products to the amateur market. All LDG products carry a full two-year warranty that is fully transferable. Support is only a phone call or email away. We're always here to help you. Visit us on the web at ldgelectronics.com. All right, and we are back. And uh, we're going to be going down with Glenn to the uh, Jackson, Mississippi Ham Fest. But first, let me also remind everybody, this is important, Go by and see ICOM's booth at Hamcation 2022 down there. They're going to have a big booth. Uh, go by and see it. Tell Ray uh, Novak hello for us, and we couldn't couldn't make it this year, but we'll see him. Uh, we'll see him up at uh, Xenia uh, in uh, in May. All right, Glenn. Let's talk uh, the Jackson, Mississippi. I haven't been down there in a few years. How was it this this past year? Well. Believe it or not, it was temperature-wise not as cold as St. Louis, but from feels-like temperature, it was about 35 below zero. Oh, was that inside uh, the building? No, this was outside, oh, okay. loading in from the parking lot, just literally walking across the parking lot with no gloves on, both hands froze. Oh, man. But inside, no, it was great. This is an all-new venue. They tore down the old trademark and built a new one. And uh, you almost can't tell the difference once you get inside, other than the fact that everything's new. And uh, it was a really nice facility. Um, I enjoyed it. Now, and, uh, now, the facility, you're talking about a hotel, right? No, I'm talking about the... The Hamfest ham itself? The Hamfest itself. Remember, oh. they had it at the trademark down there. Yeah, kind of. It had two rooms, kind of separated with a wall between Correct. them. Okay. They they crushed that building and replaced it with a parking lot. Oh, okay. And now the um, trade the um, the Hamfest building, the trade trademark is uh, adjoining the Coliseum that was across the parking lot. So okay. now it's joined up to the coliseum that's on there on the grounds all right look hey i got your video you shot you shot about four or five little uh short uh 45 second one minute videos i, I put them all together so this is yeah. kind of a walk around and uh, you might recognize somebody you might recognize a friend there or somebody may see themselves so i'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and put that on glenn and you can just uh talk over it and tell us uh what we're looking at there all right all right Yeah, this is looking across the entire hall, and uh, you can see it's pretty much about the same size as the Winterfest in St. Louis last the week before. Uh, had several good vendors there. Uh, they had a pretty good turnout table-wise and uh, attendance-wise. I chose a time when things were a little slow to, to get the 
the video in. But uh, there's a lot of good stuff there. And uh, we're going to walk up and down the, the aisles here in a minute and take a look at some of the cool stuff. I'm already dizzy. Yeah. <laughs> I got to have much. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people didn't show up for the tables, but uh-huh. Um Yeah, there was there was still a lot of good stuff there. This guy has just about a little bit of everything. You know, I, I'm noticing down here and in, in a lot of places, uh, the, the masking is going away. People are, are, are taking back, uh, I guess, their life. And uh, and uh, it, it doesn't seem to make any difference whether they're masking or not. Yeah, it's about 50-50. There's some TI-99-4s. Yeah. Remember those. And... Uh, but yeah, uh, of course, they have a present tube vendors. And uh, it's amazing that they're still there and they're still doing good business, which is great because I need some tubes from time to time on various projects. There's your bird, Wattmeter. Yeah. yeah. And there's, there was a lot of 11 meter gear here this weekend. Yeah. More power to them, I guess. You know, a lot of good junk, a lot of old Radio Shack bits and pieces. You know, you can you can see how nice and clean the floors yeah, are. Yeah, I, I was noticing that. Yeah, this is a different <laughs> different place than I was at last time. Yeah, there's your climbing belt, yeah. Tom, for when you need to get up on the flat part of your roof. I see that. Yep. But uh, like I say, it was, it's to me, it's just fun getting out and about and meeting friends and just yeah. relaxing for a day. Just, you know, in my case, I was sitting at the table most of the day. So, you know, I was off my feet just chilling and relaxing and talking with folks and not in any kind of a hurry at all. And to me, that was some of the most fun was just relaxing and having fun again. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like you say, most people weren't wearing masks. It was pretty much optional, and uh, yeah, that's the way it should be, in my opinion. Now tomorrow, I'm going to have to wear a mask end to end on the airplane. On oh, in the the minute I step into the airport and the minute yeah. I step out of the airport. So yeah, but that's 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 the cost of flying these days. Guy had, uh, of course, a lot of lot of good use computers there at a good price. Uh, guy down a little further had a whole set of the Yaesu original FT-101s. Mm -hmm. And, boy, it was so hard not to grab one of those. But, again, I'm trying to clean out space to make space for new. And I have a very limited amount of space right now. The one thing that wasn't there, of course, MFJ was not there. And uh, there was no big vendors like ICOM or Yesu or Gigaparts. Um, I just saw on one of my feeds today, by the way, that Chip Margelli is going to be down there at uh, Orlando. 
Yeah, MFJ is going to be there. I've talked to uh, Martin and Richard. Uh, this yeah, I'm past looking week. forward to seeing Martin and Richard down there. They'll be down there. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, but lot lot of good stuff in Jackson. I mean, it, it was a little sparse table wise. Oh, look at yeah. Oh, I love you know, tons of capacitors, yeah, the variable caps for building your own little loop antenna and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, the one vendor they did have was uh, an MFJ distributor, and uh, you know, so it was. They had a lot of good stuff. Now this is the jewelry, and I need to find that person's card because you have some still shots in a minute. But we've got some still shots of this jewelry, and it's just absolutely amazing what this lady has done. In what electronic them. parts. She takes electronic parts and turns them into jewelry. And we're talking the old double, double E-proms and stuff. Oh, yeah, people were trying to charge me for taking their pictures. We see how far that went. I one, think I one, guy, a one guy got mad at me one time. He told me he was in a witness protection program. Now, I told him not for long. <laughs> but uh, it was a good ham fest lots of good and unique stuff there and, and I mean a lot you know, simply put there was a lot of new junk that I hadn't seen before in the Jackson ham fest and uh, some Collins gear and I think this guy right around the corner is the one that had the Yesu on our left that was as we Come around this corner. Yeah, there it uh, is. Yeah, I'll sit here. Nice. Got a pair of them. There's the the 101 the double E. It's a chrome plated case. Yeah. Absolutely gorgeous looking radio. Oh, SB amplifier. There's your old Heathkit SB. Yeah. Your rotators, of course. All kinds of good stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, and I apologize for it bouncing around. That's what you get when you have me walking with a cell phone. I don't have Tom's steady cam way to do it. Now, Orlando, man, that's going to be totally different because Orlando is huge. It's going to be packed, too, inside. Yeah. Yeah. And the swamp area, though, and the weather is supposed to be perfect. It was raining today. The rain is supposed to stop tomorrow morning. And uh, from there on out, it's going to be nice and sunny. The temperatures in the day are going to be in the 60s and 70s. So it's just going to be absolutely perfect weather for the Hamfest this weekend. And there's the sign guy with all of his cool stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's you know it's literally about the same size as Jackson has always been. It's just the, the totally big, new yeah. venue. There's your Collins. Oh yeah, I like it. Good Collins stuff. Somebody had a whole bunch of DVDs and stuff. Yeah. It's,
I'm ready to get back down to Orlando, man. It's just amazing. Yeah. Well, this look, guy, look this guy had a lot of stuff here. This, this was my yeah. favorite yes. table. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he had. KW5KUB. Go ahead. Yeah, that's the one that wanted me to pay, and I said, just send the, send the bill to Tom. Uh-huh. Yeah, one of those uh, Turner Plus 2, that hammer tone blue microphone. Yeah. I got one of those on my yeah. All right. Well, hey, that was uh, that was exciting. Uh, I, you know, that ham fest, that's about, I don't know, how, how, how long does it take to drive down here? Three, three and a half hours? Right at three hours, yeah. Yeah, that's not bad. It'd take me about four from here, but uh, yeah. now, I, you did know, you have the? Did you have any of those still shots queued up? I do not have them. I'm sorry. Okay. I well, let me let them. me just uh, give you this so people can can go maybe to her website. Her name is transistorsister.com. All right. And she takes uh, all kinds of electronic jewelry and turns it into earrings and just beautiful, beautiful jewelry. And we're talking, you know, if you remember the old 2702 double E proms with the the glass cover for the UV light to erase it. And she's taken all that out and exposed all of the insides and shine it up. I mean, this stuff was just absolutely gleaming. And it was just really, really cool stuff. Her name is Susan Gradzaluski. And again, that's... Tr- I almost said twistedsister.com, but it's transistorsister.com. Oh, all right. Well, we got to get and that straight. Go, go to that website and check some of that stuff out. If I had somebody to buy stuff for, I probably would have bought everything she had on the table. All right. Yeah, but since the cats don't wear jewelry, it's saved me a lot of money. All right. Well, let's move on. I got a couple things here to, to do, and uh, I want to talk with Bill here in a minute. I got a couple questions for Bill. Well, and that uh, jewelry uh, would be really cool if it was actually functional. Yeah, maybe. Some of it may still be, but I mean. Well, it needs to have little LEDs amazing. and light or something, you know, blink or something, yeah. you know. Yeah. Oh, she could probably do it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, look. Hey, let's do this. Uh, I've been telling everybody that I was going to give them a little bit more information on the Pocket RXTX, the uh, remote base that I'm I've set up here. And uh, so I threw a little video together this afternoon. Let me play it for you, and then I'll answer a few questions. And then I've got to get in some serious stuff. I got some questions for Bill there uh, about our our balloon launch tomorrow, and uh, some concerns I've got. So let's let's move on into um, let's move on into this uh, remote remote base, and let's uh, take a look at this. Hey, I'm Tom, W5KUB, and have you ever wanted to have all your ham shack equipment in your car or truck, or maybe at your vacation home or on vacation somewhere? Well, we all know that's impossible. I've got, you know, a thousand wires back there, and somehow they always get so tangled, it takes me hours to untangle them. But I've got a solution for you. We can, for free, we can do a remote base of a radio. And I have dedicated one radio just to a remote base. Uh, or you could use any radio. Let's let's go over and look at it. So, uh, what I'm uh, what I'm going to talk about here is uh, a 
program called Pocket RXTX, and I've used it uh, about a year ago, and uh, I've just now reinstalled it, and uh, I'm going to keep it for my, my remote base. Uh, this application was built by uh, Dan Toma, Y03GGX, a friend of mine in Romania, and it's very simple. You just load a, a Java client on your PC, which I will open right here. And it opens up. And this is your configuration screen. It's very simple. Very simple. First of all, you, you look up your IP address uh, for the PC that's running, and it's going to show right here. Uh, so that's good. You've got to know what COM port you're hooked to on your computer. Uh, and then select that. Right now, I am on uh, COM17. That's where my computer is talking to this program. So you can select your COM ports. I'm on COM17. The, uh, the baud rate, of course, has to be set the same as the baud rate in your, in your, uh, in your radio uh, for it to communicate. And uh, that's about it. It operates on port 7048, and that's really about it. I'm using CAT control, and we're going to just start the program up. Well, I think the, I've got it on auto start, so the program has already started. Okay, now let's come back and look at how this thing works. Let's look at how it works. So I've got a tablet right here, and I'm going to open up the Pocket RXTX. And first of all, it opens with a couple different things here. This can tune in SDR receivers, which not even connected to your, your home radio, or you can use it as remote base. Today I'm going to show you how to use it as remote base. So, um, here we go, remote base. Now, the the setup in here is pretty simple. Um, in the uh, in the setup, you just select the type of radio you're using. I'm going to use the TS uh, 570. Damn. The TS 5 uh, 570 right here. And uh, once you set this radio, then all the commands it sends to the radio uh, are are proper, and they will control the radio. Well, let's start the program up. Alright, so that's what it looks like, and we're going to hold the on button down. And, uh, well, it says connected, but you know, I forgot to do something. Uh, let me turn some power on here. Alright, I've got some power on. So you can see, uh, I'll turn the volume down a little. You can see right now the display is showing 7150, 7150. All right, let's see what we can find. Let's see if we can tune someone in with it. Uh, let's see. Let's look at some. We can, we can either tune with a tuning knob right here. You can see it tuning both the radio and this. Or we can we can touch up here, and we can key in a frequency. I'm going to key in uh, 7240. 7.240. Enter. And there we go. We've got somebody. So we've got somebody on 7240. Let's look at uh, let's look at 7250. I think there was somebody up on 7250 a minute ago. Oh, there's somebody there.
little weak. Let me come up there. So very simple. You've got a few controls here. For instance, you control the mode right here on the lower, lower side bend. We're on the lower side bend, so I'm going You can just select the uh, upper side bend, lower side bend. Since we're on 40 meters, we'll select upper side bend. Uh, you can uh, tune your antenna tuner in your radio, or turn your attenuation on, noise blinkers. You can do all uh, sorts of things with it. If you want to change bands, it's pretty simple. We hit band. And we're going to select, say, 20 meters. And let's go to uh, 14208. Okay, now we got to go to uh, upper side band. show you and you can see you know the, the, the uh, radio screen and the, the uh, tablet match up so you can see it's a kind of a neat little app this app is actually free uh, and it uh, will put a little advertisement down there or if you want to pay for the full version I think it's like a buck fifty or maybe two dollars for the full version and you can get it on a, a Play Store uh, it works on Android only so uh, you're going to have to have an Android device like a tablet or a phone. So let's do this. I'm going to turn it off here. Okay, I've got it off. And uh, I'm going to bring it up on my telephone just to show you how simple it is. I have walked around the neighborhood with an earbud in here and uh, making contacts on my phone. So let's, let's just do this. Let's uh, open it up real quick. And uh, we're going to open up the, the app right here it looks just like it did on the uh the tablet we're gonna hit start uh there it is so we're gonna hold the uh, on button down it's sending encryption all right we've connected everything works the same If you want to change bands, you hit the band button, click your band, change to lower uh, upper side band, and uh, let's go to 14280. Okay, did you hear anybody there or see? Okay, I'm not. I, I don't know where people are right now, but they're they're on 20. I listened a minute ago, and 20 was working pretty good. Here we go. He did. He wouldn't know he did. Good thing we got rid of them because now look how well we are. 14208. 14208. Things are beautiful. 
Now, the interesting thing is, uh, let me get off frequency a little. All right, I'm going to transmit. When I hit the uh, transmit button, if I hit the transmit button, you'll notice the Java applet up here. It's going to change colors. Watch, I'm going to hit the, hit the uh, push to talk. So each time I hit the push to talk here, it, uh, it uh, controls the radio. Now, let's just test and see if uh, what it does to the radio down here. I'm going to talk into my phone here. Test one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. See if you can zoom in right there. Test one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Okay, so uh, let me ID. This is Whiskey Five Kilo Uniform Bravo testing. Okay, so that's pretty much it in a nutshell. So let me turn it off. It's off. Now, you notice my power supply and the radio are still on, right? Now, you don't want to leave that on day and night uh, forever, and especially if you're away from home and the antenna's connected. If you have a lightning storm nearby, you know, just with surge, you come down the antenna and wipe the radio out. If you remember, I talked uh, earlier about building a little uh, a control box. Basically, I came off the, the RS-232 cable with, uh, I think I used uh, Request to Send or, or DTR. And I used that to key a little relay inside this box. So when the program was up, uh, we had power, we had an antenna switch. But uh, I think with this uh, version of software I've just downloaded, uh, I can't easily do that anymore. So, there's a simple solution, and Kathy came up with it for me. Do you, have you guys seen, do you know what a Wemo is? There you go. There's a Wemo. These things are running, uh, how much they run, Kathy? $15, maybe $15, $20. But it's just a Wemo, and uh, it's a... Uh, a Wi-Fi control switch. So I have one right here. I have it here. And I have my power supply plugged into it. So I'm going to go to my phone. I'm going to go to my phone here. And um, uh, I'm going to spring the Wemo app up. So there's my Wemo app right there. And if you'll notice, watch the radio here. Uh, right now I'm on Wi-Fi. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn the power supply off. It turned the radio off. It turned the power supply off. Let's turn it back on. That's all it takes to turn your radio back on and off. And and um, so I will plug this box into the Wemo. And the Wemo then will turn power on or off to the receptacle. And this receptacle will power the power supply. And then in addition, I will bring, I will bring the antenna in here and out of here to the radio. And the other uh, part of the relay will be grounded. So uh, when the uh, power is off, the relay disconnects the antenna from, from the uh, radio and grounds the antenna. This is just a, you can use any kind of relay for HF, uh, you know, uh, the, the little two, wafer, uh, two wiper uh, relay or just about any relay you can use. This is actually a coaxial relay that came out of an old uh, VHF radio, I think. And it was 12 volts so i put a little 12 volt wall wart transformer in here it's it's on the ac and it's hooked to this relay so when i turn power on with the wemo it puts power here it puts power on the relay and i switch the antenna 
switches the radio on, and that's about it. So uh, I'll post the links to this, but uh, if you just do a search for Pocket RX TX, uh, you'll find it. Oh, let me say I'm using version 3. Uh, there is um, uh, a Java client out there called JAREC version 4 right here. Now, it is only compatible with uh, with the Pocket RXTX version 3. Now, you can run this in the version 3 compatibility mode, but I just decided to just use the version 3 uh, Java here. So, uh, that's uh, that's about it. I uh, hope you... Uh, I hope I brought some interesting points to you, and if you have any questions, be glad to answer them. Thanks. All right, so... So, uh, that's kind of, I just wanted to see, oh, wait a minute, let me stop it, stop it. We can't have that, can't have that. Uh, I just wanted to see kind of what it's doing, and I, I'm putting this thing back together. I've tried mobile in my truck, I get all kinds of noise, you got to have a big antenna on there, and then even when you have a big antenna, you're driving down the road, and your antenna is like eight foot tall. Well, this way, I can drive down the road, and I can have an antenna up 60 feet in the air, you know, a full, a full uh, antenna, you know, a delta loop, whatever I want. And uh, what I'm using on this, this uh, radio right now, I've got a uh, off-center fed out there on this radio, uh, which will work uh, 80 through 6 meters. So I can band uh, hop real easy, 80, 40, 20, you know, and just not have to worry about switching the, the uh, antenna. The, uh, someone asked about, didn't, don't I need a metal box? That, that relay is a self-contained uh, coaxial relay. It's all metal uh, from the uh, antenna connection to the, uh, 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 the other two ports. And uh, I just I ground one of the other ports uh, there, when it, and uh, it just grounds the antenna. It's kind of a safety precaution. If you get a direct hit, uh, it's going to go through any kind of relay, believe me, if you get a direct hit. But... Uh, Let's say you get a hit in your neighbor's yard or down the street and you get a big lightning surge with that antenna disconnected and grounded, it's going to protect your radio. So that's one of the things. Now, it's, uh, it's a little bit more work to, to make it work from outside on the Internet. Uh, you can easily make it work on your internal LAN, uh, but you've got to realize, uh, I don't know how much, uh, people have various levels of skills on, on LAN, but you've got your... Uh, internal uh, LAN addresses, which are usually something like 192.168 or 10.0 or something like that. And your uh, ISP gives you one public IP address. So to get to it from outside, you got to do a little bit of extra work. Uh, I run a service called No IP. And uh, No IP can run a little client on any PC in your house. And what it does, anytime uh your isp changes the ip address for your house this thing will update the no ip address so i have a uh, no ip address and you can request different addresses it's very cheap you, there's a free version or you can pay pay a little bit for a, a paid version and um you know you get something like your call your call letters uh dot no ip dot com and uh, and and uh, so if you're out traveling, you just go to w5kub.noip.com, and it's going to take me right to that machine right there where my remote base is. Now, 
you got to do one other thing. Uh, this is using port 7048, so you've got to go into your router and you got to set up port forwarding. And uh, you might need a little help with that. I'm sure there's people here that can help you with that. But you, you, you get the IP address of the PC that is running your, your uh, remote base. And you set up port forwarding. You forward port 7048 to that IP address. So anytime, anytime my pocket RXTX outside tries to come in, it comes in the public address. It always knows my public address. And then uh, once it gets inside my internal LAN network, it knows port 7048 goes to that computer right there, and it and it turns it on. So there's a uh, there's a lot to uh, a lot to play with there. It's neat. I don't have to worry about my car being broken into. Uh, I don't have to worry about somebody stealing a radio out of my car. Uh, if I go to our home over in North Carolina, I don't have to put up antennas and carry radios. I can carry my tablet with me. Uh, it's just uh, kind of a cool thing. And A lot of times we go somewhere in my wife's car, and uh, I, she would not want a big antenna on her car, you know, so... Anyway, that's kind of the story on Pocket RXTX. You can uh, uh, go to um, uh, Dan's site, Y03GGX is his call letters, Y03GGX in Romania, and you can download that Java applet, uh, that Java app uh, from his website. It's free. And then you can go on uh, Play, Play Store or and your Android store, and you can download the Pocket RXTX uh, program. Again, there's a free one. If you want the pro version, it's about a dollar and a half or two dollars at the max if you want the pro version. So that's kind of where we are uh, with that. Uh, let's see. Uh, what else were you going to talk about? Okay. Well, hey, we're running just a little bit late for the regular show. The show, the show after show will start in a few minutes. Um, but uh, I tell you what, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and post the uh, Zoom link in the chat room where people can start attending. And I want to bring Bill Brown in. I got some questions for Bill, and uh, uh, I've got some questions and concerns about a launch tomorrow. Here is the. There's a Zoom link. If you guys want to click on that, you can join us and be part of the show. And we'd love to have you just uh, come in and join us here. All right, I so out, I gotta go uh, walk the dog, and then an early day at work tomorrow. So, okay, uh, good to see everybody tonight, and uh, we'll hopefully see you next week. Well, very good, Alan. And I'm, hey. trying, I'm trying to get them out. There we go. Okay, uh, good night, and to... thank you so much for being with us tonight. We'll see you next week. I also wanted to mention, unless you mentioned it at the beginning of the show, uh, uh, Tom, uh, that uh, Bob Reninga, WB4APR, Mr. APRS, has passed. No. Oh, man, I, I did not know they have that news. Thanks for sharing that. Wow, I signed books with him at the last Dayton Ham Fest. Yep, uh, I last saw him at uh, the last Dayton Ham Fest, and uh, uh, apparently he's been battling cancer and now, and uh, and also COVID, so he just passed away yesterday from what I just wow. got from the AMSAT news service and uh, from a friend of mine that uh, talked, you know, yeah. talked to his daughter. And that's pretty sad because it is. Uh, it he is. Was, he's a true pioneer. He has yeah, he, uh, really he has was. done a lot, a lot for ham radio, and particularly the modes that we're running now, uh, where we need that weak signal 
Uh, it's, uh, it's amazing how it works. All right, so let's see. We got. I think we got somebody in the waiting room. Let me look. Yeah, we got somebody in the waiting room. Uh, if I if I don't get you right off, I will get you uh, in, in here. Hey, Bill, I got a question for you. You know, build up two trackers. We're going to have two launches tomorrow. We're going to launch an SBS balloon, and we're going to launch a dual Chinese balloon. Bill, I think one of my trackers is acting up a little bit. I am getting decodes. I'm getting both uh, telemetry signals. I, I am, but but it's kind of hit and miss. Uh, in between, there's three or four times I might miss a a, a data well, maybe the second data transmission or something. Now, Bill, I am seeing, and I, I, I don't have an antenna on my my whisper receiver here because I'm receiving the trackers that are here in my shack or outside. Bill, I'm seeing a, 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 a GD2RRK reporting, and I don't know what that is. And it's in, that's, it's that's in FA, one. it's in FA55. Now you know I'm that, Echo Mike fifty five. That's usually a uh, just a garbage uh, uh, call that sometimes gets through. Uh, you know it can be anything, but it's gonna if it's a real weird call with a real out there grid square, then it's just uh, random noise that got well, decoded. You know, you know, and I'm missing I'm missing some uh, some some stuff, and and but. <sighs> I've got to take the chance. I'm ready. We're we're all set for this launch tomorrow, and and uh, well, what? sometimes what you see, uh, if you have a time correction clock service like I used to mention four on older PCs, and it every ten minutes it resets your clock to make it accurate, and um, now Windows ten now has a. a a service that updates as well on the background. It's kind of hard to get to. It's several layers deep, but if you click on the time and click a few clicks and find the internet time, then you can set it manually or yeah. you can set it up automatically. But whenever it does that correction, if it happens to be in that one time stamp uh, time window for your telemetry call or your regular call, um, and it happens to adjust the time during that. WSJT-X doesn't like it, and it will not report. Well, I'm glad to hear that other people have kind of seen that. I, I don't know. I, I still mean but the, thing, but the, the older the older WSPR program, yeah. the original one, um, which I also use. Ah, it, yeah. um, it doesn't have that issue. Okay. All right. So. So, um, I had difficulty running both trackers since they're, you know, in the same time slot, basically. I mean, both of them here, it's kind of like I've got a certain band pass on my receiver, and if both of them are hammering it, uh, whoever's the strongest is going to win out, you know. How far apart are they? Maybe 80 cycles apart? Uh, They're 100 hertz apart, uh, which is quite a bit of a a distance. You can actually be about 4 hertz apart and still get 2 to decode oh. uh well maybe six but um you're what i generally do is i don't i put an attenuator in if it's so strong even with an antenna not hooked up 
just put an attenuation on it and get it down so that it's a weak signal. Yeah, I don't even have an antenna hooked at all to my whisper receiver, and uh, I didn't put You're much antenna in. out. I didn't put much out on the trackers. They're all rolled up, you know. And but still, I, I could tell one basically is interfering a little with the other. If I turn one off, the other one start working much better, and uh, vice well, vice versa, you know. But yeah, right but on, you know, once hard. once we get them launched, once we get them launched, and they're a half a mile apart or something, different people are going to pick them up, and uh, you know, oh, you'll have no problem. There won't be any problem with that. So I I don't know, man. I just you know uh, I've been so lucky uh, that the electronics has always held up, uh, Bill, uh, on all of them. I think that we've launched, but uh, I was just a little worried. This this one seems a little bit shakier than the other. The other one is pretty solid. This one seems a little shaky. One time one time today, both of them were doing this. Seemed like they were doing the same thing, and it started me thinking that. That you know, hey, uh, if both of them are doing it, then it's not a tracker, you know. Yeah, now I've got a little bit of a concern tomorrow. You know, you're going to be launching those things probably right around the time I take off. Yeah, we we, we <laughs> hope. While we haven't had any documented strikes between a commercial airplane and a balloon, it would be just my luck. <laughs> Well, here's the We're here's going the, to get a good front row seat. Here's the good part yeah, about I'll, it. Here's, I'll know I'll know what took me down. <laughs> here's the good part about it. If that happens, you, you know exactly what was going on, okay? Right. Yeah. And you might you might even be able to provide input to the pilot if you see it out there, you know, and, and be, tell, <laughs> be sure and tell him to miss it. Yeah. Are you right? You will see. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All oh, right, oh so, look, it just got sucked into the huge turbojet yeah. engine. Let's see what happens. Now, now, Glenn, in one of my very first regular latex balloon flights that went up to 100,000 feet, and it came down without a parachute. It ripped the parachute to shreds. So um, I had a chase plane, and it was flying along with a TV camera looking for the TV transmission, the live video from the camera. Well, the the ATV antenna fell off. It was on 70 centimeters, and it was a fast scan television. And all of a sudden, the pilot saying, "Hey, I see video from the balloon." I says, "How is that possible? There's no antenna on the payload. It got ripped off right at balloon burst." And he says, "It's getting stronger. I see a lake and some houses. Hey, I'm flying over that very lake. I see an <laughs> airplane wing, <laughs> and it went whoosh." <laughs> he was seeing it because he didn't need an antenna because it was no. only 50 feet yeah. away from him. Well, you know, Bill, we had we had a chase plane when we did a high altitude balloon here back months ago. And they never saw it, man. They kept they were right. That thing must have come down right beside them. They never saw it. Well, my friends definitely saw it. They saw it wish right by the right wing, and uh, it was coming down pretty fast because it didn't have a parachute. It ended up on. And I had a friend with a helicopter that uh, landed and picked, yeah. it up, picked it up. Well, Bill, he had I Magnum uh, PI's old helicopter from the Magnum PI show. Oh, okay. So, uh, Bill, I am seeing right now. The, you know, every ten minutes, the last six decodes. I'm getting the W5KB, but the last six over there have been GD2 something. How serious That's does that weird. sound? Is that on both trackers? 
No, no, no. It, well, I'm not running, but just one right now. Uh, which one is having the issue? Well, this would be the one that I was going to put on the SBS balloon, a 106. 106? Yeah. Um, and it's consistently giving you this GDQ. Pretty con- pretty consistent. The last, uh, probably the last 40 to 60 minutes, I'm seeing that GD2. Uh, and I am seeing the W five KUB, but I'm not seeing the 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 the, the QX seven right now. So uh, I don't know. Um, what is it? Is it always the same call sign GD whatever? Let me look and see what I'm seeing here. Uh, GD two RK. Yeah, always the same. GD two RK. Now I do see above some. QE7s and QA7s. But so this GDQRRK, what's the grid square? Is the grid square always the same too? Yeah, the, the grid square is FA55. FA55? Wait a minute. Yeah, F, yeah FA55. And see, that concerns me because I'm in FE. I mean, I'm in, uh, no, yeah. I'm in, I'm in DB55. I'm in DB55. Right, so or echo mic. I'm in echo mic five five dB. So what is what are they sending? Echo. I'm in echo mic five five. They're sending FA five five. Oh okay. Uh, what it probably is is you're picking up the advanced communications from the alien invasion. Oh boy. <laughs> so well, you know, you, but you might be able to uh, to. Pre- uh, protect the world with your launches well I, i'm afraid i'm gonna have to take a chance um and launch it because i've got this thing all packaged up and glued in um well as long as it's giving you the um uh, w5kub and your regular it's giving you em55 on the first transmission right yeah yeah it is well we'll know where it is but yeah, just we just won't. We just won't know to a real exact spot. I mean, yeah, we will know. Right. Okay. Uh, now, but but that won't plot. That won't plot on the APRS, will it? That wouldn't plot on. So. Huh? I can modify the Python to to do that if the, if it really does have well, a problem. Well, we may have trouble. We may have to do something like that. So. All right. uh, I may need your help. I may need your help tomorrow. We'll see how it goes tomorrow. But we hope to launch about uh, nine o'clock in the morning. Um, we're going to launch two balloons, guys. This ought to be a fun day if everything goes right. We're going to launch two balloons. We're going to launch an SBS balloon. That's your high high end high dollar balloon that's supposed to fly about forty two thousand feet. That's where it's going to float. And at the same time, we're going to launch two uh, thirty six inch Chinese balloons that are put together. And uh, they're going to fly roughly 30,000 feet. So uh, we're going to launch them both at the same time. The problem is, at different wind levels, the wind goes different directions. So I would imagine pretty soon, you know, the first uh, little while, 30 minutes or so, I mean, these guys are going to take off and start going different directions. I was hoping they would fly together for a while. Great. So now I have two shots to hit. You got one. two. You got two shots. One we're going to fly back probably toward the airport, and one away from the airport. Okay. 
So, so I was hoping <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be fun trying to watch these two, and hopefully, if everything works right over the next days, and they stay up here, maybe they will come back close together again, or one you know catch up with the other, or they'll fly together like a wingman. But uh, I, I think in the first hour or two, they're going to separate pretty good. So, Je- so Glenn, when you when you do your Arduino drones with the dart on the end, the dart tip. You're going to have to program to go in two different directions. Yeah. Well, if I, if I do this, I'm going to build me a rocket launcher, kind of like the uh, the Russian Hind helicopter. You know, multiple launchers. You know, multiple missiles, multiple directions. And I just saw a picture today that one of the fighter jets now has a missile that shoots backwards. Really? Well, to take I- out anything behind. So yeah, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to do an Arduino powered missile launcher. Well, I just saw, uh, and we I don't know if we talked about this or not, but uh, it was in the news. Uh, FedEx has asked for permission now to install laser missile protection systems. And you know why they're doing that? Oh, why is it? Because of you and your balloons. Oh, really? Well, it may be, <laughs> they maybe they got so. some way to take them down. Maybe, maybe so. Uh, I, this is I, what's been happening when you cross forty-three thousand feet. You're in yeah. the FedEx airspace. Well, look, hey, uh, look here at my house. Here at my house, away. FedEx FedEx comes in at ten thousand feet. Okay, uh, actually, they're probably less than that here at my house. They're probably six thousand or four thousand. Oh, I know it. They're the same way here. Yeah, they're, the they're under pattern. ten. They're under ten. So we're going to get it above ten thousand feet, and we'll be out of the Memphis Class A airspace real quick. Go ahead, Charlie. Charlie. What did you no, say, anyhow, Charlie? Anyhow, it's better for them to drift away because if they fly both together in front of your plane tomorrow, one will yeah. go into one, one engine and yeah. the other one into the other yeah. engine. Yeah, well, and I'm out, I'm flying out on an A321, so it's only got two engines. So yeah, yeah, yeah Tom yeah. will get them both and put me down. You know. You know, maybe I need to fire up APRS on my laptop or something so you can track me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to gas up. We're going to start gassing up about 8 o'clock in the morning. It's going to take us a little extra time because we've got three balloons we're going to fill up. Two will be attached together, one separate. Uh, once we get those gassed up and the weight's right and the amount of gas in there, uh, we will then throw all those big hydrogen balloons in the back of my truck. See, Glenn, hey, we may not even make it to the launch site. You may not have to worry, man. Well, I'm not going to tell the pilot to wait on you, okay? We're rolling at 945. Are you? Okay. Well, And I'm going to tell him to hurry. Well, 940, you know, 945 has been a launch time for us. Uh, I we're know. Trying to, we're a- trying to get a little bit earlier this time, and uh, <laughs> uh, I've got some help coming over. And uh, so it's going to take, with, with two launches, it's going to take six to eight hands to do everything. Uh, All I it, know is I'm going to be yeah. in the reasonably warm weather tomorrow, and I'm going to be on the beach on Thursday. All right. Well, why don't you have a good yeah. time down here? And you're our Man, reporter. I, I need this break. All right. So, By, by the way, uh, Tom, you mentioned uh, different cats, and I, I just found these. And these, oh, yeah? Uh, yeah. these hats I get every year for launching balloons at the oh, okay. convention. Yeah. Oh, very cool. They give cool. these out to the volunteers. Oh, okay. 
Cool. And they're nice. so they're kind of rare, but they really, really nicely made hats. Um, yeah. I forget which one was the last Hamvention. Whether I think it might have been this one, but uh, every year it's a different color combination. But uh, I've got a whole collection of these. Very cool. All right. Well, Bill, I'm worried. I'm worried it ain't going to work tomorrow. It'll work uh, at least halfway. Yeah. yeah. You just won't get the extended telemetry. I'm That's thinking, I'm enough. thinking about, I'm thinking about moving the suspect tracker over to the uh, Chinese balloons and moving the other tracker to the SBS. Now, I, I don't know why I, you know, I don't even know if that's worth doing. Well, you you really don't want my input on this one. It'll be close enough for government work, there, Tom. Okay, all right. As long as we. I can was going to say, if you want it to come back, put it on the SBS because you haven't cleared forty-three thousand feet yet. Yeah. Well, well, we have on other flights. It's just we've <laughs> had it's just we've had bad luck the last three uh, at that particular altitude. Yeah. And, uh, and in fact, Glenn, if I was you, if, if you see your pilot tomorrow, I'd tell him to avoid 43,000 feet that you have information. Yeah. You have scientific <laughs> information that tells him that that's not a good place to be. Well, I got really bad news for you. I'm going to be knee deep into a handful of CQ magazines that Rich sent me the PDF for. So I'm not even going to be looking out the window. I have a whole pile of them I got in my uh, barn in Ohio. So if you want the paper <laughs> copies, like you know, you up. I got rid of probably several hundred big stacks of uh, CQ and QST a while back, and I just looked in my closet this week. I've got stacks of them on the floor in there in my closet, man. I thought I got rid of all yeah. of them. I've got every issue of Seventy Three Magazine back to the very first one when I worked at Seventy Three. He had every back issue in, in this big big uh, storage area but you know and they actually have a cd of those you can buy now for about I eight know. bucks I I mean, think... it takes up so much room yeah that uh i'm i may have to just give a, it a lot of those a lot of those are online you can find them they're online right oh, yeah, now yeah they're all i think they're mm-hmm. all online the one thing that oh, was, yeah. i some of them are online now but uh 73 magazine had a little uh, newsletter and um, newsprint. It was a tabloid. It's called Radio Fun. Did you ever hear of that one? Uh-uh. Well, uh, when I worked at uh, 73 in 1990 through 1992, the last December issue of 92 was my last issue. I was there three years. Um, Wayne decided to uh, start this beginner's magazine called Radio Fun. And so I, I was the guy that put that together. I was the, the managing editor of both 73 and Radio Fun. Wow. He didn't up my salary any. Oh. But uh, I, have, I found every issue of Radio Fun in the barn. And uh, I'm, if there are missing ones on those archive sites, I'm going to scan a few in. Because we had, we had a quite a nice uh, selection of articles in there. Oh, I loved seven three seventy three back in the day. You, know, you had seventy three and Bite Magazine and right. Oh man, I I got those every month. Man, I loved them. Bite Magazine was originally supposed to be 
B-I-T-E, and he, his idea was to make it a restaurant review magazine. And his uh, editor of uh, 73 at the time said, you know, computers are going to be very popular, personal computers. Uh, why don't we just change that one letter and call it B-Y-T-E and write about computers? So that's how Byte came about. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that I, I love that magazine. That was absolutely you know, the top of the world back then. I wrote, I wrote a column right now. Uh, well, so we have anybody new in the a, in a Zoom uh, link? Uh, we had several people checked in earlier. Anybody first-timers here with us? Let's see who else up here. Looks like all the old pros are here. I see Brent. <laughs> and... uh, say hello to David, k 4 RTN Tom is he there? RNT. Yeah, he, he gave a, he gave a peace sign, so I guess he's new. All right, yeah, I see David here. I I I've seen that call before, David. Uh, welcome. I'm new. Um, Mark Cody VE3LJQ. Okay. Welcome. All right. Uh, where, where are you located at, uh, Mark? Uh, about sixty miles northeast of uh, Toronto. Uh, a farming township called Selwyn. Oh, I used to go to a lake up there uh, years ago when I was a kid, uh, Peterborough area. Yeah, well, I'm on Shemung Lake, which is just north of Peterborough. Yeah, that's where, that's where we would uh, camp. It's a great spot. Very weedy these days. Oh, I yeah. bet. But, uh, no, we would camp at... Uh, I'm not sure the exact lake, but it might have been that one, but it was near Peterborough. Yeah, it's, well, Shemung's part of the Trent Severn Waterway, so there's a number of lakes that are linked in. That's a beautiful area. Yeah, it's God's country. And good fishing, too. Yeah, especially, uh, uh, especially walleye. Oh, walleye is one of my favorite. Uh, we get walleye from Lake Erie quite a bit. When I was up in uh, Ohio this past two months, every Friday night, my local little mom-and-pop restaurant would serve a walleye special that he got from Lake Erie. And man, that's good. Hey, I, I saw some, someone on the news, one of the lakes up there, you know, that people were out on it, and a big chunk of it broke off and floated off with them on it. Did you, did you see that? I believe that was Lake Erie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. My uh, cousin used to go out uh, with, uh, we'd drive out to a little ice uh, shack that he had out there for fishing when the ice got really thick, And he, but he kept the windows down even though it was about five above zero. And he says, why do you keep the windows down? He says, I've seen too many of these go in. He told us that once we were about three miles off of shore. And um, he had a black Labrador and... Uh, uh, well, actually, one of his friends had a black lab, and uh, they were uh, in this ice shack fishing, and there was another shack next to theirs about 10 feet away and a couple of more out there. And, and he caught a fish. The fish comes out of the hole, but it fell off and went back into the hole that he cut in the ice. Well, his Labrador went in after it and couldn't get back up. And he was just devastated. And, you know, he was beside himself, you know. And all of a sudden, he heard this 
great commotion in the shack right next to him, and he opened the door, and two guys, the door burst open, and two guys run terrified out of the shack, and this very wet black Labrador was chasing them. (laughs) Apparently, they had been fishing, and this big black furry thing comes out of the hole. (laughs) Dear Lord. Yeah, I'd be I'd be bursting out of that thing and running for cover too. <laughs> oh, well, the, I mean, that's the last thing you expect to come up from one of those holes. Exactly. You know, all you need is the music for Jaws, and you got it. <laughs> yeah, we've got a lot of ice fishing huts on Shemung Lake, and uh, but the, I think there's more drinking going on than actual fishing. Well, I think the Isn't guys that, that just about any fishing trip, though. Yeah, I'm pretty that, sure that's the guys, anything that involves any male in sports. I believe the guys that were in that uh, ice shack when the Labrador came out, I think they were drinking heavily, so that added to the effect. <laughs> I, mean, I could just picture this happening, <laughs> and uh, yeah. I would be definitely having to change my underwear two or three times. <laughs> so uh, somebody somebody asked if we're going to uh, live webcast the launch tomorrow. Uh, no, we won't. Uh, it's just too much trouble. The The launch takes, it's going to be fast. Once we walk out there, it's going to go fast. Uh, we need all the hands we can have with these two balloons and the two trackers and the fine antennas and uh, so, but we will we will get a recording of it, and I'll post it on the uh, Facebook group uh, as soon as we, you know, pretty soon after we get back, maybe about nine thirty in the morning, we'll have it posted there. Uh, again, seasoned uh, our seasoned flight guys there, Huey, Dewey, and Louie, and then our new our new team, Larry, Daryl, and his other brother Daryl, will be flying the Chinese balloon. So uh, it should be exciting tomorrow. So uh, everybody. Uh, Everybody watch uh, watch your Facebook group for updates, and you can check it out. You can check the flights out on W5KB.com. Click on Balloon in the menu, and it will uh, – I've got various links for uh, tracking the balloons. The, the first link there, you click on it, it'll actually take you to APRS, and it should track both balloons at the same time on the same map. So uh, uh, that might be fun to, uh, to watch. It's going to be interesting, yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, let me make an announcement. Uh, you're listening to Amateur Radio Roundtable. Uh, this is the show after the show, actually. Uh, we're talking about uh, ham radio, amateur radio, shortwave listening, and things like that. And uh, if you're listening out there on shortwave, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, send us an email to tom at w5kub.com. And, again, while I'm at it, everybody, please hit the subscribe button. It should be right down there where the little arrow's pointing. Subscribe, subscribe. We need you to subscribe. Thank you. All right. Well. I'm getting a little hungry, man. I think popcorn tonight. What was that? Got a quick question there, Tom. It's yeah. uh, Colin. Oh, hey, Colin. Go uh, ahead. Just wondering, yeah, you know, just wondering 
how many of you guys have actually spoken to Dr. Luis in Panama? Uh, he was on the radio for last night time. And he's now running a 40-metre hex beam at 140 feet. So was uh, definitely getting out. Well, it must be to get to Australia. I was speaking to quite a few Australians last night. Uh, but just wondering how you guys go for talking to him uh, on 40 metres. All right. Now, now Colin... It's it's not your it's not your accent, but I was having problems. You were kind of crackling and breaking up a little bit. Uh, Bill, you and Glenn, did y'all did y'all catch all that? I heard him talking about a forty meter. Apparently, there is a station in Panama with a yep. hundred and forty foot high hex beam. Oh, okay, all right. Maybe uh, maybe yeah. we'll get a down in Panama. Okay, forty meter hex beam at one hundred and forty feet. Well, that's pretty good. You know the hex. That's a big yeah. beam. You know the hex beam. I guess no, I was thinking of the cobweb. The cobweb, actually, the cobweb antenna. Uh, we we did some testing with it. It does not have to be very high to work effectively. But I don't no. know about I don't know about the uh, the the uh, beam antenna. It probably needs to be up a good little ways. Oh well, I have to tell you, I need to rebuild my cobweb. It was a victim of the ice storm. Oh yeah. Mm. Oh. Well, let me rephrase that. It was a victim of the eight-inch thick pine tree limbs that came down during the ice storm. Oh, yeah. Well. So I'm going to have to restring it. When I was uh, a teenager, I built a three-element cubicle quad with the fiberglass poles, and it was a tri-bander, and the thing was massive, and it worked great. I mean, I could hear things. The band would stay open longer than anybody else that had a traditional Yagi. I loved that that big three-element quad. But one day we got an ice storm and had about a half inch of ice on it, and all of those fiberglass poles were bowed in. Mm. So I decided to rotate the antenna into the wind so that they would unbow and crack the ice off. Well, I rotated the antenna. The fiberglass poles did exactly what I thought it would, but it snapped all the poles off. Great job. Completely destroying my beam, my my quad. And I got mad, and there's a little hole in the uh, wood siding. Near the window where I was looking at all this transpiring. <laughs> and I just found that hole. It was covered up by, a, you know, just a wall hanging. But there's still a hole in the wall in my dad's house. <laughs> you, should, you should have uh, run full illegal power to heat up the elements. So the That's ice- what I should have done, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be like Josh Nass with his Christmas lights. Uh, I don't know if anyone saw the, the webcast where he blew out his Christmas lights. With his oh, Lord. What I should have done is plugged my coax into the wall socket, and then it would have glowed, <laughs> glowed cherry red. Yeah. I saw a, uh, a fellow in Russia with a YouTube, and he was showing how to make inexpensive Christmas tree uh, lights and he took some zip cord, tied one end together, draped it around his window and plugged it in. And he he also bypassed the fuse on the outside of the main breaker 
he put a big, um, I think it was a regular pull-out fuse, and he put a big uh, bolt in there so that it was going to handle the current. And that wire turned cherry red, and you could see a nice decoration around his window frame mm. until it caught it on fire. But Yeah, I was going to say, just briefly, <laughs> until the house no longer is there. <laughs> Don't try this at home. Yeah. <laughs> there are many interesting uh, Russian and Ukrainian uh, videos on YouTube. Like, uh, there are some guys there that go to uh, go to Chernobyl and Pripyat, Pripyat and they uh, they play with radioactive stuff and, and like these guys are crazy and I don't know they like to do that so I don't know you see many strange things on YouTube what's the guy that uh, he demonstrates an electronic principle and he's doing a circuit? oh gosh yeah and then all of a sudden you see ah, electro boom electro boom yes yes electro boom but but that's scripted you know oh like, of course but i love it but you know yeah, what? Yeah. I have, uh, i've tried contacting him multiple times to get him on the show and i, I can never get a response from him it's really good he's really good. yeah yeah yeah, I wish you would uh, no, answer us. These are guys, these Russian guys, there's nothing scripted. They go there and there's radioactive stuff and they, I don't know, they play with it. They are, they are. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not into glowing in the dark. Thank you very much. <laughs> I found another radioactive thing started with this uh, a thread <laughs> in, in Twitter that yeah. That uh, Alan started with his, uh, you know, it's not the ESR, it's the leakage tester that he put a very nice instrument. And and then I said, I used that instrument for my, I have another one here, this one. I, I used that instrument for the, for my ESR meter that I did many years ago, based on his video too. Mm -hmm. And I showed this, which is the instrument. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. And and somebody in the thread there in, in Twitter said, ah, but that's radioactive. And Is I said, right? but it doesn't glow in the dark. And he said, no, it's because uh, radium, the, radium uh, the, the fluorescent stuff decays with their radioactivity. So yeah. uh, for first years, it glows in the dark, but then becomes this yellowish. So you can see the marks there that are yellow, like yellow. Right. Yeah. Those are radioactive. And I I put the, the meter there, the, the counter, and it's radioactive. So this is you need to keep that away from spiders and make sure you don't get bit by those spiders. Yeah. Now, now the other thing is if you have uh Corel wire that's orange from the nineteen forties and you put a Geiger counter on it, it will peg the Geiger counter because they made the orange dye out of uranium. Now, which um, wire? Uh, where it's a uh, not wire, it's a plate. It's a dishware, a dish. Yeah. Oh yes, my gosh, I have an orange Corel, but I don't think it's forties. Yeah, it has to be older. Uh, Fiesta. Check the back. Uh, check the back of that plate, there, Glenn. I'm uh, gonna I, have to I, now. I, I have to take the. I have to take the counter to my my dad's house because the, there's a lot of uh, colored. Uh, 
wear, you know, co color. It's uh, called Fi Fiesta wear is the one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I have to check. this. I found this. This is my childhood bank. It's oh Mr. god, Mr. Peanut! Yay! <laughs> this is from 1962, and it glows in the dark. And I'm not sure why it glows in the dark, but this could be one of those Chernobyl things Oops. going on right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> I have other things that glow in the dark, and they are not radioactive. So I don't think maybe. I hope that's one. the case with this one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Back in '62, I mean, you know, all the Timex watches had the radium dials, and mm -hmm. everything was radium, and you know, so. Uh, the odds are not good that that Mr. Peanut is safe. <laughs> there were there were radio. I'm gonna charge it up here and see if it works. <laughs> I just found this in in, in the in my uh, closet in Ohio. <laughs> I mean, when you stop and think of the things that we survived, we were definitely somebody's you know test subject. Oh, yeah. for, the, for the 60s and 70s, <laughs> there, there were like. Uh, Kids, you had like instead of chemistry kids, you had radio radioactive kids. Oh man, I had the chemistry oh, yeah. set. The you know, oh dear gosh, yeah. I found my 1962 chemistry set. There were real chemicals in there. You oh yeah, there man. was. Oh we yeah, had some there was serious stuff in my there. Answer you can do some my serious uh, <laughs> stuff with that. Yeah, <laughs> rocket fuel, uh, firecrackers, you mm -hmm. name it, you could do mm -hmm. it. Well, my aunt was a registered nurse, and she read some of them chemicals, and she said to my mother, you get rid of this, you get rid of that, you get... Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, you... heck, but back then, that you had replacement chemicals on the shelf at the drugstore. Yeah. Well, go there that. and pick some more up. You could go into the drugstore and get all the ingredients in boxes for gunpowder. Yeah. Why, why they were there available, I don't know what they used all that stuff for, but you could easily buy it, big, big boxes of the stuff. And then yeah. uh, I used to order stuff from Wumco Chemical for, uh, I had to sign that I was 16, even though I was 14. I just put my allowance money in it, and a few days later, I got big, big boxes of all kinds of chemicals. Nowadays... If I tried to do that, Homeland Security would drag me away. Oh, <laughs> I'm flying with an Arduino tomorrow, and I'm thoroughly convinced I'm going to get the extra search treatment. You know those high-power green lasers? Uh, a friend of mine built one into a pen, just an ink pen, and you click one end of it, and you've got this high-power green laser that can temporarily blind people, but he actually made it as a product to uh, temporarily blind a, a, an attacker. It doesn't do permanent damage at that frequency, yeah. the laser light. But we he went through airport security, and they picked, he had to put, of course, the pin into the tray. And the, the guy, the agent, picks it up and starts that clicking looks... the thing towards his <laughs> face. <laughs> he thought, sure, he was going to end up... Yeah. <laughs> There's there's a men in black oh, moment for you. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's flashy. Well, you, you put everything in in in, in a bag. The you know. It, I, I I put 
put my my radio. I, I disconnect the antenna, the battery, and everything, and it's in this sheer tight bag. Okay, and I put that separate in the in that little uh, box there that they want everything to go through. And I tell them, I says it's an amateur radio transmitter. There's my license, and you know I'm taking this with me. And I says, as you can see, it's not going to be. Uh, used on the plane and da 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 da. And Back in the eighties, I actually flew with an Atlas two ten X transceiver all the way to Minneapolis because I was going to be up there in a apartment for three weeks for training, and so I brought the Atlas with me and threw a long wire out the six story window and uh, operated that way. But yeah, I mean that's a what a twenty pound radio. Now, now I uh, I would carry my HT with me onto uh, airplanes many years ago, and uh, man, I could talk. I talked to one of my friends for 250 miles just with the HT in the window of the jet. It yeah. was amazing. The cover just the coverage rate was phenomenal. Uh, nowadays, of course, they wouldn't allow you to do that, but no. I actually had permission <laughs> from the pilot. You can't even take a damn screwdriver with you. Boy, I swear I to God, TSA. Clippers. No, I'm just saying, TSA. They, they 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 said, well, you have to have permission to bring that. I go, I'm an amateur radio operator. Nope. I says there is a radio. I says there's a, a power supply. There is an antenna, and this, that, and the other, and that bag right there. I says, and I'm carrying that with me on the plane. Well, you well, know how they have. Well, they a, thought I was going to take the plane apart because I had a screwdriver and a, and a hex wrench and this, that, the other. Yeah. And I just looked at the guy and he well, said, "Actually, the TSA rule is six-inch screwdriver. Smaller than six inches is allowed." Now, it I, was one of those many things there that. Yeah. You, 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 but it's it also subject to their interpretation, and you're, yeah, you're yeah, dealing well, with government employees, so you're not going to get a good interpretation. My, carry on. My carry-on had a fingernail clipper with one of those little files. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they they broke that off. They said, you can't carry that file onto the plane. Well, I have one of those little miniature Leatherman tools. Oh. And I realized that thing has a knife blade on it. That was in my laptop bag. And fortunately, I pulled that out. But I guarantee you, that would never have made it. Now, I had a friend who was a Here's pilot a for Southwest, about. and he would take the HF radio on the plane uh, and tune it to 20 meters. And when I worked at 73 magazines, I would talk to him a lot. And boy, he had a booming signal. Oh, gosh, I bet. <laughs> mm hmm. Now, here's a tool that will allow on the plane because they can't find a blade on it. This is a Leatherman tread bracelet, and it has all of these little. Wrenches built into it. You can see the the little X-shaped holes, so you can actually take. You could take the plane apart with this. Yeah, well, tools are fine. It's anything that's bladey or pointy that they don't allow. And they'll also allow this this little Leatherman on the plane because and because it doesn't have a knife blade. Yeah, if it had the knife blade, you'd be out of luck. But. But here's no. the thing. It has a pair of scissors on it. They allow scissors. and It has to be under four inches. Yeah. A scissor is nothing but two knives. Trust me, I have memorized the TSA list now. 
So they won't allow one knife on the plane, but they'll allow two knives that are yeah. together. When I, when I found out that I was going to be flying with an Arduino, uh, I was I scoured the TSA website to memorize it. And, the problem uh, for flying with an Arduino is that now you have a precious semiconductor uh, microchip there that is nowhere to be found on Earth. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. Take jewelry <laughs> with you, not... <laughs> well, I was asked to bring it for a very special purpose, so I'm like, okay, sure. Because I get a benefit out of this. Um, it's going to be taken back and looked over. It's not just the Arduino, it's a product. And uh, they want to do some mods with it. And uh, they're going to ship it back to me. But they also said, if you will do this, since we have discounts on shipping and stuff, anything you buy, we'll be glad to ship. You know, we'll, we're driving. So when we take it home, we'll be glad to ship it to you. So now I can buy whatever I want to in Orlando, and it's going to get shipped to me. Yes, I will bring my Arduino to you for, for shipping. <laughs> I win. Here are some lots, lots of rigs and antennas. What you got there, Brett? These these are Arduino chips. These are the chips that the Arduino is. is ah, the three twenty eight. Hey, yes. I need yeah, some. Those I need some of those. Send them in envelopes. Send them to me. Tom is using in his little board and his balloon. Yeah. Fact. Yes. I use them in my tracker too, and I can't find them. They say uh, that they'll be available in twenty twenty three in, in Mauser and Digikey. Let me so tell you, you something. If you want a few, uh, I can send you. I could send you a couple. I have. I have some. So hey, hey, I hey, had Brett, a, hey, an interesting. Hey, Brett, Brett, send me. Look me up if you don't mind. Send me two or three if you can spare them. Uh, I I need a few. I've got two or three, but I got them from China, and I think they're all bad. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, you never know on those. Yeah. But you know, let me tell you something. It's not just chips. I have a issue where I need to buy a new inkjet printer. And I found the one I wanted. And I went to Office Max. They had the display model. They do not have any printers in well, stock. They have worth chips. a darn. They have chips inside of them. So I went know. to Best Buy. Yeah, and have you seen that? You know, Best Buy's got those racks and shelves on the wall. Yep, they're bare. Yeah, they they're down to a handful of stuff. You know, one good you know President's Day sale, and they can be cleaned out of inventory completely. You know, I mean, I I didn't get the printer. They just did not. There's not one of these printers in stock, and it's a current production printer. All right, stand by to second. You know there. Stand I, by. Stand, saw, stand. Uh, hang on, uh, hang on uh, a second. Uh, yeah. Our uh, our time is up for our, our shortwave show. I want to thank everybody out there for tuning in on WBCQ and joining us tonight. This is uh, Amateur Radio Roundtable. Thanks for being with us. Join us next Tuesday if you want to uh, join us on the web. You can go to w5kub.com, 8 p.m. Central. That'll be 0200 UTC Wednesday. Thank you and good night. Hey, by the way, I just uh, tested Mr. Peanut in the dark and it still glows. Oh, wow. Not as much as it did in the 60s, but it still has a bit of a glow in it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, it's that's, probably that's, achieved its half life by now. 
Yeah, that's that's really scary, though. You know, when you stop and think about everything that we had in the '60s that they didn't really get back around to telling us was bad for us. It's hey, kind of like what, what didn't kill us made us stronger, Glenn. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, shoot, we rode bicycles without helmets. We that's ate right. sand. Hey, we <laughs> drank out of a garden hose. We rode hey, in a truck. You know, we didn't have seatbelts. No. Hey, we're alive, damn it. We're alive. They may. They, you know what? You know what, Glenn? They need to make a, a country song out of that. <laughs> in fact, there, there is a country song. Uh, I'm sure there's a country song. There's a, there's I a ate country, mud and I survived. Pretty good, pretty good country song just exactly about that. You're drinking out of a hose and we, we didn't wear a helmet and, you know. Oh, man, it goes on and on. I'll have to. I had to My dad it. used to shoot his twenty two rifle when he was a kid up in the air to see if he could hear the bullet land next to him. I said, you won't hear the one that hits you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And the things we did and survived. You know, I mean, it was Darwinism to the absolute max. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you know, give it a try. Yeah. Yeah, here, hold my beer. Or, of course, back then it was here, hold my Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> it's if you hear somebody say hey y'all watch this that might be their last words uh, uh, right <laughs> you, you, you might want to get the heck out of there <laughs> yeah keep, all right keep a safe distance all right so hey guys uh our time is up i need to go get a bite to eat and okay. I, I need to go i need to go to bed early because i got to get up early and get ready to gas these things up and get a launch tomorrow and Bill, mm -hmm. I am really, I'm still, I'm thinking I'm going to switch the trackers on those balloons. I don't know why. Well, uh, they're the same weight, so I guess it doesn't matter. I'll be looking yeah, for you at 9.30. All right, very good. And, uh, hey, Bill, if you can get your Python strip running, that might help uh, in case my yeah, I'll goes that. off or uh, something. I'll use your calibration factors that you yeah, uh, came up with. I, I'm not too worried about the, if I switch them, let me think, if I switch them, I'll have to. You'll have to switch the numbers, but it won't make any difference. I'm not. I'm not too concerned about the voltage right now. I'm just more concerned. It, oh man, I don't know. Um, hey Bill, when you get time, a busy guy, check out those three thirty six H's, and tell me what we have to do. I built up a tracker with a three thirty six H in it, and uh, I'm getting the uh, lock light flashing, but. Uh, it's not doing anything. I can put the constant carrier uh, software in, and it does constant carrier, so I know my oscillator and everything is working, the transmitter is working. Uh, so, what is it transmitting? Is it sending NMEA GPS strings or binary? or what, what are you talking about? The... The actual data coming out of well, it. Well, I don't, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I've got it built up on a tracker, and whatever you know is supposed to be transmitting whatever's supposed well, to be transmitting. You can test that by tapping the serial line off of it, and you know, running it through one of those uh, I don't, serial converters I don't, to I don't, your computer. I don't, have, I don't have one. I don't have one. All I can do is watch the LED flash. Every one second. Okay, let me let me play. I have a little dev board for that. My, you know, Research. I'm told somebody told me that it's a direct drop-in replacement. I don't know. I, I'm thinking in your in your firmware. Don't you have to? Don't you have to point stuff at stuff by name? And if it has a different name, would it not go to it? Or no, it's. Uh, I just look at the serial part. Is that right? Uh, okay. What, okay. But. Uh, it depends 
on how you set up the baud rate. The baud rate might be what the issue is. Um, so look and see what the baud rate is that you're setting up. Uh, well, that's in your firmware, man, right? First of all, sending commands to it to set up yeah. the strings, that you, the output is going to be different from what you send to the U-block, probably. But I don't know. I'll just take a look. Yeah, just take a look at it. Uh, the pinouts look identical. I sent you a picture right, of the, the, uh, the two pin, uh, the two pinouts. They're, they're the same pins, but I right. Just, yeah, I don't know, man. Okay, all right. Well, I'll to see. I'll see what the default is when you first power it up. If you don't send it any commands. Yeah, um, and I'd be concerned too about the altitude, the high altitude, uh, whether it's on or off. I don't think uh, on that particular one that you have to send any commands for. Like the U blocks, where you have to send now, it to now. Michael, Michael, Michael says he's been using this these chips for all his flights now, and he uh, I, I sent you a link. He said if he said you might want to look at my I don't know uh, I guess a link to his if get, I get, get time and yeah. uh, time is that uh, yeah <laughs> no no hurry right now no hurry but. Um, I'll I'll look at his firmware and see, and I'll I've got one I can wire up and see what it puts out when yeah. it just powers up, because I have to send commands to the U blocks to send it the right baud rate and the right sentences that I want to look at and the and the rate that they send it. You know, there's All right. a series of commands I send, so I have to figure out what those commands are with that that. Okay. ATGM. Okay, and and he, hey, he, hey, Brett, he, Brett, he, Brett, Brett, if you is he still here? Yeah, he, yeah, he's still yeah. here. Hey, if you if you have a few extra of the three twenty eight P's there, you you're not really using them for any project. Put me a couple in an envelope. I'm good in QRZ, and tell me how much, and I'll send you some money. I was I was gonna well, no problem. I was gonna ask you if your QRZ. Yeah, was cool. I'm, I'm good, dear. I'm, I'm good. good. Okay. All right, guys. Hey, good night, darling. Good night. Hey, hey, question. Yeah. The, those you uh, block uh, chipsets. Yeah. Uh, those uh, you you when you configure uh, all the parameters with the with the software, they they then they are saved inside the chipset, right? Don't yep. they are burned inside the chipset? Right. No. Oh, no. No. You you have to send it when you first power up your uh, tracker because uh, mm. they don't it doesn't oh. they don't have a uh, static RAM or a way of they don't have an EEPROM, EEPROM, where you can. Oh, I, store. I thought I thought he was. At, yeah, I mean they're stored, of course, in the three twenty eight P, but not in the. Uh, no, no, the, the yeah, the not, not the, in the, the not box in the itself. GPS you itself. have to send the commands when you first power it up. Yeah. Or uh, the biggest issue that people run into is that the uh, altitude limit for pedestrian car mode, automobile mode, the peak altitude stops at 40,000 feet you had to set it up for airborne mode let's say if you're driving over 40,000 feet you definitely <laughs> are not on this planet mm. well they figured not many people are going to be hiking or driving any higher than Mount Everest right yep. that's yep. only 29,000 feet so you know they gave you 12,000 feet you know, in case you're a good jumper I guess yeah. now the Delorme inReach which was a little communicator that uses the global uses the uh, iridium satellite network to communicate anywhere in the world and you can send different messages with it um, their uh, GPS um, 
stopped at 29,028 feet. <laughs> and I said, why? I, I couldn't figure that out because it's not a bite boundary. What, oh, no, that's a number on? I've known my entire life. And so I called the Delarme uh, chief engineer for the inReach, and I talked, had a nice little chat with him, and I says, so why is it doing that? He says, we didn't think anybody, it's designed for hikers, we didn't think any hiker would be going any higher than Mount Everest. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, Glenn, Glenn, we, one of our balloons went near or over Mount Everest at about 30,000 feet, man. Wow. It scraped on by. Yeah, yeah, probably left a little track in the snow. That's right. If the antenna was a little longer, somebody might could have grabbed it. You know, the ants left a little track in the snow as they saw that thing coming. Yeah. <laughs> that that yeah, uh, limit of height doesn't have to be about uh, the modes you 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 have that you can go fast uh, fast the speed, speed yeah. but not very high or lower speed and higher. That's for not using it as a ballistic. Um, right. Design. I don't think they want you putting it in rockets. A guided beside or yeah. whatever. Yeah. There, there's a speed limit when you're above sixty thousand feet. So there's a speed limit that that won't work at. It's it's and or now some companies, uh, if you're above either limit, it'll stop. It's they tough. misinterpreted the rule. It's called a COCOM limit. But uh, the way they should do it is uh, if it's one or the other, uh, I mean, if it's, it has to be and, you know, if you're above 60,000 feet and you're going 600 miles per hour, then it shouldn't work. Yeah. Unless you have the military version. I have a (laughs) question, Bill, for you. What, what, what's, uh, do, do you have any problems with the stability of the clocks? What, What clocks are you using for, for the, for the um, uh, whisper beacons. Oh, uh, yeah, yes, yes. Uh, the reference oscillator um, for the chipset, um, you have to have a temperature-controlled, uh, I use a temperature-controlled crystal oscillator or a temperature-controlled, voltage-controlled temperature oscillator. The voltage allows you to do a fine adjust yeah, of the frequency. Yes, yes. Uh, and actually, I use the voltage control to direct FM modulate when I'm using it for two meters uh, for APRS. I want an FM transmitter, so I just run the audio right into the voltage control pin, and I have to adjust that level uh, to get the right deviation. But just for whisper, uh, you can use a TCXO, but it has to be one of those little tiny surface mount ones that you cannot hand solder um and they're not very expensive and they only draw about two milliamps but they've got a little heater in there and they uh, they maintain that stability you cannot it's not temperature compensated it's uh it's temperature it's like an oven oven control they have a heater in them yeah so it's an over control crystal oscillator it's not a temperature compensator well, they call it a TCXO. Yeah. Okay. Hey, so, so we had to put new instruments. Right now, the jet streams are doing over 200 miles an hour up there. So we're hoping that we can exceed 200 miles an hour. So we put new instruments in in for our next flight. And we're hoping to get in ludicrous speed. Hey, <laughs> you might get up to the red line there. Yeah, yeah. I think I saw a 280 once. 
Uh, on yeah, the well, just you know, you need a camera on the ant so he can see their cheeks all pulled out as they're going into the wind. You know, you know what yeah. comes after that? Plaid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> plaid comes after that, man. We've gone plaid. All right, I'm out of here, guys. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Yeah, I gotta go right. too. I gotta go too. Night, we'll Glenn. see you later, guys. Everybody had a good time tonight. Take me through, just everybody. a quick finish with Charlie. Um, uh, you don't want your whisper transmission to drift more than four hertz over a two-minute period of time. Okay, It'll so handle so four hertz and less. So uh, you need a, at least a, a zero point zero one ppm stability. You you want it to be yeah. I, I had to search several uh, TCXOs before I got one stable enough. And the way I do it is I just test it in my freezer. And, and, so and maybe that's look. the problem that that uh, that Tom is having that the clock is drifting or something. Well, um, it's just on, probably I've not seen. that much no. because it's room temperature. Uh, yeah, he wouldn't see that. Well, much I, I, we do we do two different data transmissions. The, the first data transmission is correct. The second data transmission is the one that I think it's, is uh, wrong. Broken. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and uh, his chip. <laughs> His reference oscillator with that uh, SI5351A um, synthesizer, that combination that he's using is very stable. Uh, even during flight when the payload is mm. is spinning so that the sun is heating it up and then it's not, that can be a fairly significant temperature difference. Uh, I haven't, just watching Tom's uh, flights and the, how much drift during the flight it doesn't drift more than about two hertz to three hertz max, even under the worst case conditions. So it's pretty stable. Oh, so it's okay. It's but at room temperature, it'd be very, very stable. So yeah. Okay. So it's a problem of software. Software eventually works. Hardware eventually fails. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That I'm going to make a T-shirt on that. Charles. Yeah, that's that's really good. <laughs> All right. Good night, everybody. I'm gone. Good night. Bye -bye. I do I do both of those for uh, for NASA for the big rocket, uh, and I'm do the avionics and the flight software, and I'm going to mention that to them.